uh, turn to Acts chapter 8. We've been talking the last couple weeks about the leading of the Holy Spirit, and we've studied um, four ways to discern when the Spirit is leading, uh, which is important because the enemy tries to um, fool us and dissuade us and use our emotions and desires to, to influence away from the Lord. We've also talked about how to respond when there's clear evidence of God's leading. And the key to that is seeing people with Jesus' eyes, right? That's what the youth did Wednesday night. They saw people with the heart and the eyes of Christ. Uh, and that, that can be difficult for us because it goes past what's comfortable. And we don't necessarily like that. So um, we've heard this powerful evidence, the testimony of the students, um, and, and have stepped out in faith to initiate conversations with people about the gospel. And there's really no desire. If we talk about the leading of the Lord, there's no desire that that was the leading of the Lord. He started in their hearts to go evangelize. They went to Monument Square. They approached people. Um, even though it's awkward, they shared about Jesus. And the result is that people trusted Christ. So it's only logical that that, that was of the Lord, right? It's, they were blessed. They were encouraged. They want to go back out. They want to take the initiative. They're calling us out. Come with us. So, so that's, that's wonderful. The Lord was honored. That's the Lord's leading. But, but what happened Wednesday night also beautifully confirms what the Bible tells us. Because the Bible talks about uh, the fact that the Lord's leading always has specific purposes. And that's what we're going to just briefly study this morning. We're going to look at four this morning, and we're going to start in Acts 8 uh, and look at the first one. But let me give you just, a, just two seconds of background. Acts is a blend of the Lord's verbal leading and, and visible leading, um, like we see in the Old Testament, like we're going to see here with Philip, and also the believers learning to discern the Spirit's direction. God didn't always speak to them audibly. Sometimes he just impressed it upon their heart, like at Pentecost. Get up, speak, talk about me, um, and God used those things. So um, as we come to, to the book of Acts, we kind of see a mix of both. But in every instance, every time we see the Lord leading, whether it's uh, audible or, or in their hearts, we see a clear demonstration of these four purposes. And just like everything else in our lives should do, hear this clearly, it all points to the Lord and all points away from us. That's the key takeaway. If you're going to take nothing else from the message, everything we do in terms of being led by the Lord should point away from us and point toward the Lord. And that's an important realization for us because often when we talk about the leading of the Lord, I know I've done this hundreds of times in my life. We talk about the leading of the Lord and knowing his will. It's what's his will for my life and how am I going to feel and what will happen to me and what's my future going to be. And, and we kind of get over analytical spiritually and kind of say, well, I need to know. I need to know how it's going to work out. And am I going to be comfortable and will the Lord provide? But, but. That's not what the leading of the Lord's about. The leading of the Lord is about directing everything to God and praising the Lord for everything. They talked about their feelings, but their feelings didn't impede them. Their fear didn't impede them. Their hesitation and awkwardness didn't stop them. And that's an example of this. Because when the gospel's affected your life, it drives you forward. And you don't think about yourself as much because you're thinking about the Lord. 
The Bible says in John 3.30, he must increase and I must what? Tell me. Decrease. So, so everything we are intended to do is to elevate the Lord, bring praise to the Lord, bring honor to the Lord, bring attention to the Lord, and nobody should see us. It's awkward to sing, or it's awkward to preach, or it's awkward to go evangelize because you have the sense of everybody's staring at me. Stop staring at me this morning. Look down for a minute. Just make me feel better, okay? There. <laughs> My brother was a kid he would put his hands in front of his face like if you can't see then you're not really there so sometimes we feel a little bit awkward about it but if we put all attention to the Lord it goes so much better now look at Philip here chapter 8 verse 26 an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza this is a desert road So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, so he's high-ranking, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Okay, first principle. We're going to go through it quickly. The Lord's leading supports spiritual birth, growth, and encouragement. The Lord's leading supports spiritual birth, growth, and encouragement. Now, based on the forgiveness that we have been offered through the cross, based on the resurrection, based on the great commission that Jesus gave to every believer, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, based on the fact that the Holy Spirit has been given to empower us and that we hold God's word in our hands this morning, there is no question, there's no doubt, there's no equivocation that the primary objective that God has toward man is to save us. I'll say it again because I want somebody to say amen. The primary objective that God has toward man is to save us. Isn't that an awesome truth? He could do anything he wants to us. He's perfectly justified. He's holy. He's the authority. He's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. But his choice is to redeem us. And when we understand that, that that's the driving force of God to us, that he's driven by his love and his mercy and his grace and his provision, that his goal is that every single person will be saved out of sin, will be holy, and will be in perfect fellowship with him. So if that's his primary goal, it follows that his leading, every aspect of his leading, is centered on the same goal, that no one will be left in the curse of sin and that everyone will accept his offer of redemption and cleansing forever. Now, if that's his singular focus toward man, then everything relates to that focus. And it means that his leading is always going to be toward us having and living a new life in Christ. God loves every person God wants every single person to be born again. 
Sin corrupted our nature. Sin placed us under a curse that we can't get out of. And he wants to pull us out, cleanse us, and give us a new nature. And once he gives us that new nature, he wants us to grow. And he wants us to mature. And he wants us to become more like Christ. Because we're grateful for what he's done. And because we understand that that's the only way to live. And because he knows that we're under spiritual warfare and that we're still impressionable, no matter how long you've been saved, you're still impressionable towards sin, he gives us the word. And he gives us the spirit. And he gives us the body of believers to strengthen us, to persevere. So look back real quick at Philip. He's been preaching to the Samaritans. And he heads back to Jerusalem, and we see that the Spirit of God says to him, don't go back to Jerusalem, go south, get on the road to Egypt. I want you to go down there. There's no assignment that's specified here. There's no details. He just says, go. That's really important to get the context of of what Philip is dealing with. Because very often, our level of discontentment with the Spirit's leading had a direct correlation to our level of discomfort. In other words, the more uncomfortable we are with where the Spirit might be leading us, the more uncomfortable we are with His leading. If God said to you, tomorrow I want you to go live in Aruba, and I'm going to give you a billion dollars, and I want you to live the life, we'd go, man, I love the Lord's leading. That's really cool. But if God says, I want you to get up tomorrow and I want you to go down to Monument Square and I want you to evangelize homeless people, we go, I don't know. That doesn't seem like the Lord's leading for a Monday. Maybe for Wednesday, but not for Monday. See, our, our comfortability has a lot to do with how we go forward. But look at what happens to Philip here. Persecution against the church has started. Philip isn't really sure who to trust. Now he has to go alone down toward Gaza. The disciples aren't there with him. This is an unfamiliar area. And he sees an Ethiopian, who, which is okay because Ethiopians believe that Judaism was, was their religion. So, but he might be one of those guys that's real stuck on the law. So he's got to deal with that. And then there's this final factor that the youth experienced Wednesday. It's awkward to just go up to somebody and say, can I pray for you? Or can I tell you about the faith that's in me? Can I tell you about Jesus Christ? That's not easy. How many know that's not easy? You just walk up to someone, can I pray for you? Um, go away. It's fascinating that almost every person they said, can we pray for you? Yes, I'd love for you to pray for me. Yeah, could you? Yeah, I got a lot going on. Maybe there's somebody in the world that has some sense of all the mess that's happening. You want to pray for me? Sure, pray for me. And it shows in how the Lord supported the work. Isn't it wonderful when we step out in faith how the Lord supports it? Annie came back. We were driving home from youth group, and she said, and this lady, just as, we're, as I'm praying for her, just starts singing, uh, I need you, Lord, I need you. Like, it was so, so awesome how the Lord just supported that. So the Spirit says, go run toward, the, go toward that chariot. And, and notice in the text, Philip runs over. He doesn't like come sheepishly like, maybe he won't notice me. He goes sprinting over and says, hey, what are you reading? But great way to minister to people is ask them questions. Because people love to talk about themselves. So he says, what are you reading? Do you understand it? How can I understand? Somebody explains it to me. Philip goes, I can. I, I, can, I can tell you what's going on here. 
The Lord will never support us more and never lead us more clearly than when we are moving towards spiritual birth, growth, and encouragement. He will always strengthen us in that. Paul says in Colossians 1, we're asking the Lord that he may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God. See, that's the Spirit's leading. The Spirit wants to lead us toward what bears fruit. If something you're doing isn't bearing spiritual fruit, then you've got to analyze it and say, is that really the will of the Lord or is that what I want to do? Am I bearing fruit? Is this going to have a benefit to my walk? And we're called to walk by faith. So there's an element of the Lord's leading being faith. Let's go to that. Turn back all the way to the start, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Let me give you the second point. The Lord's leading pushes our faith to greater levels. First is the Lord's leading supports spiritual growth, growth and encouragement. Second thought is the Lord's leading pushes our faith to greater levels. Now, one truth that we can be absolutely sure of is that God's leading is never stagnant. God's leading is never stagnant because he doesn't want us to be stagnant. Now, Moses is a very interesting case study in terms of this principle because when God calls Moses to go out and go down to Egypt and to lead his people out of Egypt to the promised land, Moses for 40 years has been stagnant. He's literally done nothing. He hasn't moved one inch spiritually. Remember, he started out in slavery. His mother, Jochebed, had him. She knew that they were trying to kill all the Hebrew boys. So she puts him in a basket and sends him down the river. And Pharaoh's uh, daughter discovers him and takes him into the house. And through God's will, decides that Jochebed needs to come nurse, not knowing that this is her child. It's just an amazing fact of the Lord's work. Now, as she's raising him, as she's uh, developing him as a child, I'm sure she's sharing with Moses. Listen, Moses, God has his hand on your life. God has protected you. God has saved you. And he has his hand on your life. But then what does Moses do? He kills an Egyptian, and he runs away into the wilderness, and he hides. And he becomes a shepherd for his father-in-law. And for 40 years, he just passively exists. Not progressing, not going forward, not seeking the Lord, not living according to his calling. Listen, when the Lord has plans for each of us, he will strongly, strongly challenge our apathy. He will strongly challenge our passivity. And he will, how, how we respond to that will reveal a lot about our faith and a lot about our maturity. So Moses, minding own business, 40 years since he's been in Egypt, and then the Lord appears to him. You see this in the start of chapter 3. We won't read it with the burning bush. And then look at what God calls him to do. Verse 6, he says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of the taskmasters, for I'm aware of their sufferings. So I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing of milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, Hittite, Amorite, Perizzite, Hivite, Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. So far, so good. No problem. Furthermore, I've seen the oppression with the Egyptians or oppressed them. Moses is like, great. No cost to me now. Uh Uh-oh, verse 10. Therefore... 
Come now, and I'll send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. And what does the Lord provide? When God leads us, when God pushes our faith to a new level, he doesn't just say, hey, Paul, go out there, step out in faith, do your best, I'm watching, just, just, just manage as well as you can. What's the word we kept hearing? Power, power, power. When we step out in faith, God gives us power. He says, remember, I'm holy. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember my past help. Remember what I've done. I was ministering to those three patriarchs. And remember, I'm gonna, I, I helped them. I ministered to them. I, I guided them. And now I'm going to do the same for you because you're going to step out in difficulty and challenge. And Moses, I want you to go. Look at verses 6 to 8. You'll have my presence. I'll be there. I'm coming down. I'm coming down to deliver my people. He does that through the plagues. He does it through the Red Sea. He does it through the pillar of cloud and fire. He meets them at Sinai. Listen, when the Lord leads you, hear this now, he does not send a proxy. He's not too busy. Oh, I'm overloaded. So many people are praying to me. The world's a mess. Or or, or I'm detached. I'm kind of indifferent. I don't really care. No, when the Lord leads you, he will show up himself. And that's what he does here. My people, I hear the cries of my people. Oh, think about that for Tuesday night. When we cry out to the Lord, God says, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll show up. I'll minister to you myself. And Moses, look now. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take my people out of bondage, and I'm going to lead them to the land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, church, we need to be confident when we trust the Lord and when we step out in faith, God will help us and God will bless us. But sometimes to get there, surely your goodness and mercy follow all the days of my life. Yeah, that's true. But to get there, we have to have our faith stretched and strengthened. The Bible says, exercise your faith. Why do we exercise? Why do we stretch before we exercise? Because we don't want to get hurt, right? So knowing what's ahead of you in the coming year, I look around the room, I see what some of you have been through in the last year. Major health crises, crises in your marriage, addictions, problems, depression, discouragement, all kinds of junk that's in this room. And when we step out in faith, God says, I'm going to stretch you because I don't want you to get hurt. So I'm going to push you and move you and adjust you like a chiropractor spiritually. I'm going to keep moving you so you understand how to be healthy. And whatever direction I take you in, know that it's for your good. It's in my will, and it's designed to make you complete. The trying of your faith, let it have its perfect work, James said, so that you may become complete. So if God's stretching your faith, don't say, oh, well, I'm going to resist that. I don't, I don't want that. God, that's not right. That can't be good for me. It's going to hurt me. No, he's stretching you so you won't get hurt. 
He's stretching you so you'll be spiritually limber, so your faith will be limber, so you'll be able to endure the resistance that's against you. That's what God's doing. So God's leading pushes our faith to greater levels. Third, the Lord's leading doesn't ever promote our pride or our flesh. The Lord's leading doesn't ever promote our pride or our flesh. Just write down James 1.13. Don't turn there. We don't have time. Listen to what it says. James 1.13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Listen to Galatians 5.16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, there are two truths there that need to assure us in our faith. One is the Lord will never lead you towards sin. The Lord will never lead you towards sin. He wants to free you from sin. And second, when we follow the Spirit's leading, we will have the power to resist and reject the flesh. God will never lead you towards sin, and when you trust him, he'll give you the power to overcome. All of our lives, until we get to heaven, whether you're saved or unsaved, you are constantly dealing with three sources who are inciting you to act. The first source is your flesh. The flesh wants us to sin. The flesh wants us to follow our desires and and our pleasure and control. So we're dealing with the flesh's influence. Then we're dealing with the enemy's influence. He stokes our pride to use the flesh to get us to disobey God. So they're working in tandem. The flesh and the devil are working together. And then the third influence is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, you don't need to live that life. Reject the flesh. Reject the enemy. They want to destroy you. And I'm here to offer you life and freedom. Now, the first two, the flesh and the enemy, will always try to shackle you. They'll always try to put you in bondage and and lead you to death. Where the Spirit says, I've come to free you. I've come to give you life and life that's abundantly. So the choice is ours. We can follow the flesh and the devil or we can follow the Spirit. We have to decide. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to follow? And then you've got to know the difference in the voices. We studied that last week. Word, prayer, spiritual maturity, they all help us discern the Lord's leading. But there's another simple question that I think we can ask. That that when we're faced with any decision, will give us clarity in evaluating the spiritual direction. Here's the question. Who will be more pleased by my decision, the Lord or the enemy? When you come to a decision, it can be small, it can be huge. When you come to that decision, who will be more pleased by the direction, the Lord or the enemy? The other way to explain it is, will this lead me to spiritual life and freedom, or will it lead me back to bondage? That's it. It's that simple. We can evaluate everything based on those two things. We don't need to make it complex. We don't need to nuance it and and justify it and and get a hundred different opinions. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? No, it just comes down to, is this going to please the Lord or please the devil? If it's going to please the Lord, walk down that path and let the Lord guide you further. And we have to be honest that more often than we want to admit... The decisions in the direction we're taking are not pleasing the Lord. They're pleasing the enemy. Our desires are very powerful. They're very persuasive. 
They can convince us that something is of the Lord when it's not. Give you a couple examples. That person you dated in high school or that person you dated in college, maybe you're dating them now, and you were convinced, what? They're the one. Oh, they're the one. Oh, Lord, if it's your will, I'll do whatever you want. Just let them be the one. Come on, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but I know you prayed that. But you knew they weren't the one because they didn't love the Lord. Or they were leading you to make some very poor moral choices. Or they were becoming more of the preoccupation of your heart than the Lord was. Or those friends you're still hanging out with who are putting you in situations where you're tempted, who are dragging you down, who, who, or who you're hesitant to say no to because they might think differently about you. Or that job that you're pursuing that's going to take you up the ladder and it's going to put more money in your bank account and you're saying, man, i got to work harder and i got to push harder and i got to get forward even though your family's suffering and your reputation's suffering and your integrity's suffering. Do we really believe that Jesus would die and rise again and deliver us so we can go back to our old life and then say, I approve of that. He hung on the cross and bled and died, not even looking like a man anymore because he was beaten so badly. And we think that he's going to lead us back to where he delivered us from? No way, not a chance. The Holy Spirit guides us away from sin and to paths of righteousness for his namesake. And that's our fourth point. The Lord's leading always brings glory to Christ. The Lord's leading always brings glory to Christ. Write down Isaiah 42, 8. We won't read it. It's a powerful chapter. It details the coming of Christ and the authority of God and the spiritual blindness of man. It shows the need for Christ to come. In the middle of all that, listen to what verse 8 says. I am the Lord. That is my name. By the way, never take the Lord of, name of the Lord in vain. We have, I've heard a tendency uh, over the years, people to, oh my God, no, his name is holy, he's worthy of total praise, don't ever carelessly use his name that way. If that's a conviction this morning, so be it. We do not say, oh my God, we praise God. We honor God. We glorify God. He says, I am the Lord. That's my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Real quickly, one important test we want to use when we believe we're receiving a leading from the Lord or, or we're going in a direction that isn't clear. One crucial test is to say, will this bring the Lord glory? Will this bring the Lord glory? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What a contrast. What a contrast to what the world's saying this morning. The world says, do whatever you can to bring glory to yourself. It's the goal of the entertainment industry. It's the ideal of professional sports. It's the bottom line of all social media. It is all throughout politics. Elevate self. Praise yourself. Get people to notice you. Get all the money you can. Preen, preen.
pride, stand up, speak your mind, tell everybody how wonderful you are and how brilliant you are, and and get everybody to love you. You know, the devil's tactics haven't changed. Inflate your ego, make it about you, build pride, and then before long, you won't even think about God. From there, it's only a matter of time before we fall, because the Bible says pride comes before a fall. So listen, one more time we'll pray the words of Isaiah 42.8. I'm not sharing my glory. Nobody else is worthy of it. And I'm not going to let anybody steal my glory because I alone am God. That's why when Satan rose up and said, I think I'm going to be God, God kicked him out of heaven and said, your eternal future is determined because you will not usurp me. You will never be God. And how many know he's been completely defeated forever? So any leading, any leading has to bring glory and praise to God. If it does not do this, please hear this. If it does not bring glory and praise to God, it is not valid. That's how we know what the kids did Wednesday night was of the Lord. Because what brings greater glory to God than when people get saved? What brings greater glory to God than when people are rescued from their sin and they trust in Christ? The Bible said, somebody said it earlier, that all heaven rejoices when one person gets saved. So you know what? Wednesday night in heaven, there was a huge celebration. It was a huge celebration. Isn't it so much greater when all the praise and glory goes to the Lord than when it goes to us? Praise his name. Let's thank him. Let's pray together.